Habits and Health, episode 34. Welcome to the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. Welcome to another edition of Habits and Health, episode 34, with Jonathan McLernon, who is a nutrition coach based in Canada. And he helps people around not only nutrition, but around their general health and trying to find out what the issue is, working on their habits to, to help them get better. And he's been doing this for a while and his, his background is, is very different. And we'll find out a lot more about that during the episode. If you know anyone who you feel would get some real value from this episode or from any of the episodes, please do share it with them and leave a review for us. That really helps us with the algorithm and get more people get to know about this uh, this show. So I hope you enjoy this week's show with Jonathan McLernan. Habits and health. My guest today is Jonathan McLernan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing awesome, Tony. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. And um, you're in Canada. I am. I'm in a city called Red Deer uh, in the province of Alberta. Um, you probably wouldn't have heard of it, but near us is like the Rocky Mountains and some of the, the top tourist destinations, Banff, Lake Louise, where you see these you know, beautiful mountains and these teal-colored lakes and stuff. So uh, we're, that's kind of in our backyard. So it's actually a really beautiful spot. Cool. And are you a native from there? Uh, originally, actually from Vancouver Island, so way out on the West Coast. And uh, I came out here about eight years ago um, to actually be a power line technician. So building poles, utility poles and towers. Wow. And that's like quite far from what you do now, isn't it? <laughs> it's a bit of a departure. I, I would say I've had quite a varied background. Um, I originally studied chemistry and marketing at University of Victoria. Um, I left the research program that I was supposed to go into my PhD for um, because I thought at that time I was... 21 and so you know maybe i was a little bit naive but i was like i didn't want to spend four more years doing the same thing for working for a pittance um to get letters after my name that i thought nobody would really care that much about so i joined the navy and became a, a marine engineer um and uh i did that for about six years and then my wife and i traveled the world for about three years and coming back, I got, that's what got me into the power line trade. But an injury, unfortunately, took me out of that trade. Um, I had to retire from that. Uh, so I spent uh, about a year and a half kind of operating uh, big trucks in, in what we call the oil patch out here. Um, and then uh, got into the nutrition and health business in about 2015. Uh, and so what was it? So you mentioned about you, the health and fitness, and that was, what, 2015, 16, I think you said? Yeah, yeah. Um, and what was it that um, drew, drew you to that? Uh, well, originally it was uh, a friend of mine had a nutrition and supplement store, and he was having a bit of a falling out with his business partner, and, and the business was kind of failing. So I started helping him out part-time um, just because I kind of didn't want to see the business fail. And uh, it turns out I was really good at it. So with a background in chemistry and marketing, um, that's kind of, you could think it's almost tailor-made for the supplement industry because it's, it's nutraceuticals and, and marketing, really. Um, and I've got quite a good memory for, for facts and information. And so I was able to retain a lot about a variety of supplements. And so I kind of established a reputation as a supplement guru, so to speak. Um, and But ultimately, what started happening was... Uh, I began to call myself a bartender without alcohol. Um, 
so people would come into the store and they were looking for a supplement to solve a particular problem that they had. Say, I'm looking for a supplement to help me lose weight or I'm looking for a supplement to help me have more energy and so on. And I'd get asked them a couple of questions and I'd say, you know what? Um, I don't think the supplement's going to do what you want it to do, truthfully. Like I can sell it to you, um, but there's something deeper at play here. And so that kind of started me in the realm of, I guess, nutrition and lifestyle coaching inadvertently. Um, kind of formalized it after doing some certifications through Precision Nutrition. Um, but ultimately that business uh, failed. It was quite a costly business failure, actually. Um, but I will say that when you lose everything, um, you kind of have the opportunity to – you have nothing left to lose or I had nothing left to lose. And so that kind of gave me the opportunity to venture into uh, running my online nutrition coaching and lifestyle business. And so when did that start? Uh, May of 2018. And how has it been so far? It's It's been interesting. Um, I would say it's been fairly successful because um, the the online coaching industry has quite a high rate of turnover. Um, usually within, I, would, I think it's about 50 to 60% disappear within the first 12 months. Um, wow. It in. In the online coaching realm, there's there's also what we call the guru sphere, or it's what I call it, anyways. Where there's a lot of uh, a lot of people out there promising, you know, work with me. I'm going to teach you how to make six figures in 90 days, or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. how to have 10k months and so on. And the trouble is, it's a little bit harder than it sounds to actually mm-hmm. do that successfully. There's, there's quite a few different intangibles that come into play. It's not that it's impossible, but it's actually pretty challenging to do that. So you already have people coming with mismet expectations. You've got kind of predatory gurus out there just preying on people's emotional vulnerabilities for this promise of making more money and so on. And uh, I've, I've fallen prey to that in the past as well and spent money on on gurus who weren't worth a, a penny of the money I spent on them. Hmm. Um, and once they have your credit card information, they're just happy to, uh, you know, sort of toss you into the heap. Um, and so uh, for me to be able to sort of keep it going. Um, you know, I'm three and a half years into this and, uh, still going strong, which is good. Um, I've got an established reputation, uh, a good client roster and so on. Um, and, and actually now I also do a little bit of mentorship for new coaches and I kind of came about that inadvertently in a sense. Um, I remember just a coach came to me and said, Hey, would you like teach me how to build an online business? Cause you, you have a pretty successful one. And uh, so I kind of formalized it. I created a series of courses. Um, I kind of call it, in a, uh, I call it lean and efficient because I'm, I also have a bit of an engineering brain. So I like to make uh, efficient business processes. And, and it, that's where we can kind of create a bit of scale with a solopreneur is to sort of, how do you make the digital infrastructure run efficiently? And so um, I, I kind of just started doing that on the side, partly because I knew like how many predatory gurus are out there who are, you know, they want to get your credit card and charge you 10 or 15 grand. Um, and once they have that, like, too bad, so sad. Yeah, and uh, I thought that was really, really unfair. And I've been burned before, and so uh, I wanted to. I wanted to start working with people. And those who are starting out, like they don't have a lot of revenue coming into their business. So I was like, you know what? I'll charge a fair price for what I do and the help I give, and I'll put a guarantee on there that I'll work with them until they make that money back, um, because that's why they hired me. And so that's also been uh, reasonably successful. Although, really, only I do that by word of mouth. I don't actually advertise that I do this. And where did you, you say, so if I heard you right, you said you started doing the online coaching a couple of years ago, was that like 18, yes. 19 around then? So, yeah. so, so it was pre pandemic. So I'm guessing yes, you was. were pretty well placed for when a pandemic happened. Yeah. I didn't realize like uh, looking back, um, 
the bricks and mortar business would have failed anyways. Um, and th- there's more to that story. Like it was a, a, a former friend who is a narcissist and a sociopath, like a pathological liar. Um, everything was kind of a shell in that business. And as you know, unfortunately I was already pretty deep in it when I started uncovering this stuff because they're really, really good at covering this stuff up. Mm. Um, and so, uh, but I didn't realize like when, when that failed <laughs> that I was basically going to be building a, I don't want to say pandemic proof because it definitely has affected business. Um, on the one hand, people became more open to to hiring people digitally and working online with somebody that you don't meet in person. Hmm. So, but then there's also like there's times where people get kind of skittish about even spending money on. Uh, so, hiring a nutrition coach sometimes is seen as as uh, an expense rather than an investment in their health. And so, when they see it that way, they get a little bit skittish. And so, it's like things have been steady for me, which is good. Um, and I'm above average in terms of my business success. Um, but it's there, I'll be truthful and say like, it hasn't always felt like a hundred percent secure, but maybe that's, maybe that's just part of being an entrepreneur is like nothing ever really feels a hundred percent secure. Um, what would you say if you think about the, um, the type of clients that are coming to you, what is the reason that, is there like one, um, issue concern problem that most people have when they come to you the probably the first reason they reach out is weight loss and that's mm. very common in, in the nutrition and health industry people are coming because they say they want to lose weight mm. um i like to say that nutrition is my cover story um so people will come they want to lose weight maybe they want a nutrition plan to help them lose weight and and so on mm. but the the truth is a nutrition plan isn't actually the thing that's going to help them permanently or help them long term what mm-hmm. is is to establish a new pattern of habits and behaviors and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so really this has evolved into what I call brain driven weight loss. And that's kind of my a term that I think I've coined. I haven't heard anybody else use it um, just to acknowledge that the brain is really the driver of our behaviors. And so when we work with our brain, the way that our brain works, as opposed to trying to kind of fight our body into submission, we're much more likely to be successful long term. And so I don't believe I'm the only one kind of working in this way with people, but I think it's relatively uncommon as of yet. Hmm. And what would you say has changed about the when you first started working with clients? Mm-hmm. So how you're working with clients now? How how has that changed? Oh, very dramatically. Um, in the beginning, I was giving people meal plans to follow, right. um, and I was really a macros type coach, we would call it. So assigning mm. macronutrient ratios. So for those who might not know, macros are referring to macronutrients, protein, carbohydrates, and fat. And then ratios meaning, you know, this many grams of carbs every day, this many grams of protein every day, and this many grams of fat every day. Mm. That was really the the start of it. In one sense, that approach can work. But I kept seeing a pattern, which is within six to eight weeks, people would typically drop off. The reason being they couldn't follow that meal plan perfectly and they felt this somehow they were failing or the other part of it is actually when you hand somebody a meal plan and they haven't had a hand in shaping or creating it, they will then turn around and say, it didn't work for me. Hmm. So they will not take ownership for their own failure to adhere. Hmm. Now that's not saying that they're a failure. That's not trying to put blame on them necessarily, but it's just understanding the human condition Hmm. that in order for someone to succeed, they can't just follow my rules that doesn't work. They mm. actually need to have an ownership stake in the process of creating their own life transformation. Mm. So, so what is your approach now then? 
I would call it two experts collaborating towards a common goal. Okay. What I mean by that is I'm, I'm an expert in nutrition and behavioral psychology, mm-hmm. but the client is the expert in their own life experience right. and their day-to-day uh, habits and behaviors. Hmm. And so that's an important piece of input in the process. If I just blindly tell them what to do, it, I'm not taking into account their day-to-day struggles, their past history, um, things that may have happened in the past that are currently driving their behavior. And so we really need both. And, and as I alluded to earlier, the other part of it is to say, um, I need them to be involved in the process in terms of, so uh, in a nutshell, I could say it's about reverse engineering their own healthy lifestyle through building mm-hmm. habits. Right. Now, what we'll do is we'll start with a principle and say, okay, because the fundamental principles of, of, of a healthy lifestyle are relatively Simple, And I say simple because it's not easy, but they're relatively simple. A regular uh, habit of activity, um, regularly consuming nutrient-dense foods, limiting the amount of junk food you consume, staying hydrated, managing your stress, and getting some sleep. That at its core, if you, if you kind of dial those things in, it's not going to be that difficult to ultimately achieve a degree of health. Hmm. But how do, we, how do we take that principle and shape it for the individual depending on what their family circumstances are, depending on what their work circumstances are and so on. And so we'll take a, a principle and say, okay, here's a starting point. I want you to try, let's say I have one called EMS or eliminate mindless snacking. And we'll say, okay, what I want you to do here is eat either three times or four times in the day and no, no snacking in between. So what that's going to do is that's going to start to stabilize blood sugar and stabilize cravings. In the beginning, it's going to suck a little bit if they're used to snacking every time they feel a twinge of hunger, but that's okay. We kind of want that a little bit of discomfort there, hmm. but it will, it'll actually stabilize their blood sugar. Um, and then I kind of say the rule of the thumb is if you want to eat a treat, put it at the end of a meal. Don't eat it independently as a snack. And that serves a double purpose, really. One is uh, you're now not eating a snack to satisfy hunger or a treat to satisfy hunger. And secondly, you're putting it on top of a meal, which should be slower digesting, meaning you don't get a blood sugar spike and crash. So we'll take a principle like that and say, okay, let's put this into action and see how this works for you. They then have to kind of learn how much food do I kind of need to eat at a meal to feel satisfied? And do I feel better eating three times in a day or four times in a day? And some people, they might go down to two. Some people might go up to five. So we we, we have a starting point. We figure out where the snags are, but we, we just keep within that operating principle. We just keep adjusting it until it works for them. And then we put the next piece in place. Hmm. And if I hear you right, I, I kind of get the impression that whereas before you were big on the kind of ratios, the amount of grams and so on, mm-hmm. that's not so much the case now. No, because the other element of it is, of course, the coaching element. So hmm. along the way, when we try to implement these things, there's going to be inevitable human struggles. Hmm. Trying to change your lifestyle, um, there's natural resistance to change. You know, our brains like homeostasis, our brains like familiar patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a sense of identity. And when we try to create transformation, we're actually shifting our sense of identity. That can make people feel a little bit vulnerable and insecure. Um, mm-hmm. They may not they may not verbalize it as such, but in a more primal sense, it is, that's what's happening. And that's why it's so difficult really to create change independently by ourselves. Um, because we we feel a sense of insecurity and we feel a sense of discomfort when we, when we start to challenge ourselves to grow and develop. Hmm. Cause I would say that our uh, sort of our primal or animal nervous system is really wired to avoid discomfort. 
and to try and stay within the familiars as primal security mechanism. So what would you, um, what habits have your clients struggled with the most or found hardest to adopt? Good question. Because it's going to kind of depend on, on each individual. I would say something like, you know, Okinawa, they have this uh, principle, and I'm trying to think of the name, but I want to say Ikigai, but I don't, I don't think I got it right. But it's this idea of eating to about 80% full mm-hmm. so or stopping when satisfied rather than eating until you're stuffed. And so I think that one can be a bit tricky for people because their stomachs don't come with a level gauge. Mm-hmm. So it it really means you have to start to become more mindful and and tune in and sense what you're feeling in your body with that meal. And we're so accustomed to eating in a very distracted fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, very often we're eating and accompanied by technology, whether it's our smartphone or watching something on Netflix and so on, where we don't give ourselves the opportunity to tune in and sense this. So I think think something like that tends to trip people up a little bit. And once they've managed to get past, well, once they've managed to make that into a habit, does life become much easier for them? I would say yes and no. Um, and why I say that is because then then we sort of encounter the next challenge. Right. <laughs> so if they can successfully implement it, then in one sense, yes. Um but then we're probably going to go more into the, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the emotional aspects of their eating, mm. um, whether that's boredom eating, stress eating, anxiety eating, um, eating to co- uh, counter depression and so on. So we're going to start examining a little more closely. What are the tools that they use to deal with sort of their mental health? Mm. And on the subject of habits, do I'm wondering, like a lot of people seem to think that, well, a lot of people feel they have really bad habits. And I, a lot of people say, oh, I just, I'm no good at this whole kind of habit stuff. So once you've been able to help people and show, prove to them and prove to themselves that they are, they can do good habits on a regular basis, consistently automated and so on. Does it change their, how they think about themselves? Yeah. What's kind of neat about it is, when you see it click and it's going to happen at different times for different people. But uh, so, and and kind of take one step back, what I explain to people is, um, you know, if you've ever driven down a, like I I live kind of near farm country here. And if you can imagine uh, driving down a country road, that's not paved, maybe between a couple fields and it's going to be well-worn, well-traveled. There's going to be ruts in that road. And, I say, okay, well, what we're going to try and do here when we try to establish a new habit is we're going to try and drive up on the ridges and flatten them out. Now, it's a little trickier to drive on the ridges because it's kind of narrow and and there's slopes. And inevitably, you might hit a wet patch and slip back into those old ruts. So Mm -hmm. I want people to understand that it's not necessarily a failure when they fall back into old habits. Because what if they had a habit for 30 or 40 years? Mm -hmm. Um, So to understand when we're trying to create a new habit – uh, we have to, it, it takes conscious effort to implement it in the beginning. Hmm. And maybe the number of repetitions it would take will kind of depend on the complexity of the habit. In other words, you know, if it's something really simple like brush your teeth, that's not too complicated. Hmm. But if it's something like uh, prepare vegetables for every meal, well, there's a little bit more involved in that. You know, there's a few surrounding pieces that need to come into play. Hmm. What was it? Um 
What do you think people most misunderstand about a nutrition coach? I would say that they that a nutrition coach is going to solve all their problems for them. It's natural to want that to be the case. I want mm-hmm. to hire you and I want you to solve my problems. But that's kind of an overwhelmed response. Just tell me what to do and I'll mm-hmm. do it. What that ignores is that human beings have this sort of natural sense of autonomy and independence that they really value. Mm-hmm. And if I just start imposing rules on you, you're going to start to resent me pretty soon. And that's why I really want my clients to have an active hand in shaping their lifestyle. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we'll say, well, we'll build these blocks cumulatively in place. So we start with some simpler, more basic ones. And then we just kind of, and I would call them high leverage behaviors as well. So ones that, uh, you know, they don't necessarily require a huge amount of effort, but they actually yield a pretty high result. And then we start fine tuning as we get closer. So my program is called Lifestyle 180 and it's a 180 day program. And it's, it's meant to, over the course of it, by the end of it, not that they're like, oh my gosh, I'm glad this is over so I can go back to my old life. But, mm. you know, I love the new life that I've created, yeah. the new lifestyle that I've created. And it feels like I can keep doing it because I've taken the time to implement these habits. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you're looking for the fastest and most effective way to transform your energy and well-being, we invite you to join Tony for an upcoming Habits and Health workshop. This five-week group workshop will empower you with tools to disrupt unwanted habits and make positive changes easy. You'll enjoy sound asleep, better energy, less stress and a happier mood. Workshops begin on the first week of every month and you can sign up now at tonywinyard.com. Now, back to the show. Have you had any real surprises? Someone that you weren't sure if you'd be able to get the results they were hoping for or anything along those lines? Oh, absolutely. And I think I've had surprises both ways. There's people that have come in and they started off, you know, guns blazing, really, really diligent. And I go, oh, wow, you know, this is looking like really promising, really mm-hmm. promising. And then all of a sudden they just start ghosting me. And I go, what, what's happening here? And I'll reach out and, oh, you know, life just kind of got busy and so on. Um, and so I think one of the biggest challenges here is, is managing people's expectations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we start thinking about creating change, our subconscious mind starts to create a picture of how we'll look and how we'll feel when we accomplish this change. And then our brain starts to reward us with dopamine. That that's that feel good brain chemical. Hmm. And I say there's a biological reason for that. That surge in dopamine allows us to overcome our resistance to change. We feel more excited about the change than we do our resistance to it, but it dies off. And it can be anywhere from a week to four weeks, typically, where I kind of see it die off. And I kind of don't want to burst people's bubbles. But on the same token, I want them to know that that's not true motivation. That's just a little surge in dopamine to get you over your resistance to change. And then the reality of transformation is going to set in and you're going to realize, okay, there is some resistance to change because my primal brain wants me to go back to my old habits and behavior patterns. Hmm. And do you... I mean, you mentioned before, we've mostly been talking about nutrition, but you have mm-hmm. sort of touched upon sort of sleep and, and a couple of other things. So do you 
is all your focus on nutrition or do you look no. at other areas of health as well? <clears throat> I also look at, there's kind of four categories I would look at. Uh, one is nutrition and that's probably the biggest lever, but it kind of needs to be connected to three other things. One is activity. Mm -hmm. um, I don't necessarily assign workout plans to people. I have an app that has, I've, I've put in some workouts from everywhere from beginner to advanced that people can use and follow along should they choose. Mm -hmm. And I do want them to establish a habit of regular activity, but I, I'm not necessarily a sets and reps personal trainer. Um, I, I, I did have a personal training certification. I haven't kept it current because my real passion is around the, the sort of behavior-based psychology, but I do, I do incorporate activity into I factor that into the things that we're trying to do. Uh, the other two really are sleep and recovery and then stress management. And I think like they, they all kind of work together. You know, if your stress is, is really high, which very often it is with people, especially in the modern world, um, their sleep quality is not going to be very good. If their sleep quality is not very good, they're going to struggle with emotional regulation and regulating their consumption because cheap junk food gives us a dopamine hit and it's an easy way to escape uncomfortable feelings and escape from stress. So we kind of, there's kind of an art to an art and a science to this whole coaching process, because it's kind of like I'm, I'm sitting here tweaking this dial over here with them and then we'll tweak this little dial here. Okay. Let's take a look at, you know, this week, let's take a look at what your stress levels are like and so on and how you're sleeping and factor all of that in and then bring that back to them and say, okay, well, here's how, here's how we maybe want to, um, or here's the expectations we want to have of ourselves this week based on the resources that are available to us. It's because I think it's, um, it's unmet or mismatched expectations that lead to discouragement and quitting and dropout. Hmm. So you mentioned stress just then. And so I'm wondering, are most of your clients sort of local or are they sort of geographically widespread? Um, I would say a good chunk of them are local to the province that I live in. Mm -hmm. um, but I've had clients as far as Hungary um, on one side and Australia on the other side. Um, and so I've got plenty of clients in the U.S. as well. So there really isn't a geographic restriction. It's just a matter of sometimes at a certain point, the time differences can make it difficult to connect effectively. But I'm wondering, so the reason I, I asked that question is, do you find that people in smaller, you, you mentioned that you're in a sort of smaller town. Mm -hmm. Is the, the stereotype is that people in smaller towns aren't as stressed and it's the big cities where people are more stressed. Is, is that what you found? Not necessarily. Um, I, I think nowadays, particularly because of digital technology and even the small towns have high speed internet, that it, it's almost like we find things to be stressed about. Hmm. Um, it's, and maybe we go back to sort of this biological mechanism of trying to keep ourselves safe. And so we, we scan our environment for threats and there is this idea of wanting to be connected if, if it is like the rural farm country, there is the aspect of like farm life is hard and long hours and unpredictable. So we have some clients in that area. Um, hmm. the, the other side of the coin is the corporate life is difficult and challenging as well. Hmm. And so I, I don't see a huge difference really between the two anymore. Right. And since the outbreak of COVID last year, have people come to you? Well, would you say you've noticed there's a difference in, why people are coming to you from before or no, no change? 
No, uh, I haven't really noticed a significant change. Um, there was, you know, all the jokes floating around back in 2020 about the whole COVID-15 sort of thing, uh, the, the natural weight gain. But after a while, it stopped being funny. <laughs> and people are like, oh my gosh, this is actually happening. And maybe it's not a joke because the COVID-15 is turning into the COVID-30 and 40 and so on. And so maybe there's people... I want to say a little more discouraged. They're like, oh my gosh, I thought maybe it just, it'd be a little slip up and I'd get back on track and I've really struggled to get back on track. Mm-hmm. And that's because, I mean, we didn't see this playing out for two years or longer um, the way that it has. Everybody sort of went into this with the idea that, okay, we just got, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve. And the joke is like the hardest part about the, the two weeks to flatten the curve is the first 18 months. <laughs> what What is it that, you most enjoy about what you do? I, I really enjoy when it clicks for people. There's something really, I mean, I I also have this kind of a nerdy engineering brain. So I I have this kind of unique combination of I'm, I'm quite an empath and I'm very compassionate towards people and their struggles. But I, I love when, first of all, when somebody comes to me and they don't see a lot of hope in their situation and I look at them and I, I, you know, my engineering brain runs these calculations and I see their potential and I go, oh my gosh, this would be an incredible transformation story if we could make this work. And so I kind of, I kind of love the challenge of that, that, that really like excites me. And then when it, when it clicks, you know, I have a client, for example, uh, she's about 61 now and it might seem like a total mismatch. I'm a guy in my thirties and she's a, a lady in her sixties and, you know, she's lost and over 50 pounds and kept it off. She took about nine months to lose 50 pounds and she's kept it off for 18 months. And it's pretty incredible. So she went from, you know, being in pain, walking across the room kind of thing, thinking I'm just getting old. I'm over the hill. I'm done to being able to walk five miles and swim 30 lengths at her local pool. Wow. And so clearly you, you, so you said you enjoyed the challenge and so on. So how, do you see what would you like to happen in your business in the next few years? I'd like to be more well known. <laughs> and so, because the, the, here's the challenge with being an entrepreneur, uh, especially being like a solopreneur, like I do outsource some things. Um, but I really, I wear all the hats and I sort of keep my finger on the pulse of the different areas of both of my businesses. Um, maybe I'm a little bit of a workaholic. Um, I would, the one thing is like, in, in a business, I spend as much time sort of marketing and trying to and, and finding clients as I do coaching clients. And I would like that ratio to shift because I don't, I'm, well, I'm good at the marketing part. I'm good at communicating. I, I know all the steps, you know, I know how to use organic marketing. I've worked it to the past the magic 10K month and all that. Um, I would like to spend less time on the marketing and more time working with people because that's truly where my passion lies. Right. And what do you think about the technology that's coming into health now with all the various wearables and monitors and, and so on? Uh, double-edged sword. So I have a pretty basic watch. It's a Garmin VivoFit 3, which probably came out, I don't know, a couple of years back. And I really only use it for counting my steps. Sometimes too much information can be a problem or we can get lost in the weeds. Um, it can become a distraction. Uh because uh, I know I used to be very data-driven because I have a scientific research background and I used to keep spreadsheets on everything. I had an in-body 520 to scan my body fat percentage every day. Like I was, I was really into this stuff. It didn't really help me 
move forward. What mm-hmm. it was is I was, that was becoming a distraction rather than like helping me. And so what I would say is technology is intended to facilitate the process, not be the process. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for working online. The internet is just the medium that allows two people to connect. So I set what I call CMGs or can't miss goals. And this is, this is a concept that I think is really valuable for a lot of people. So I'll use activity for an example here because I have my, my step counter. Um, I set my movement goal to 5,000 steps and people would look at that and go, well, why not 10,000 or like that? That seems like pretty doable. I'm like, it is very doable. That's why I call it a can't miss goal. It's so doable. In fact, that basically I can't miss it. I did miss it once. I had a 166 day streak and I missed it once because I got a bit of a cold. It wasn't the thing that should not be named, but <laughs> it was a bit of a cold. Um, and then, you know, I'm back on the horse again kind of thing. So I've, you know, 180 something days, 188 out of 189 days. Now, my average is actually more like 8,200 or 8,800 steps a day. Hmm. But this idea of a can't miss goal, it's it's an old Jerry Seinfeld trick. It, he, he got himself a big old wall calendar. And he decided he was going to write a joke every day, good, bad, or ugly. He was going to write a joke and he put a big red X on that calendar. And it became a a thing of don't break the streak. Hmm. And by having this can't miss goal of writing just one joke every day, he became a world famous comedian. Hmm. And so it's like we can use this little hack. So instead of setting the goal to I'm going to work out for an hour a day, five days a week, like that's, that's ambitious. And maybe that's a good thing to get to, but really you need to start with something so simple you can't miss it because what's going to dictate the success of the habit is the repeatability of it. Mm -hmm. And remember, it's not so much about the magnitude of the habit, but really about establishing the pattern of behavior because once the behavior pattern is established, you can now build on it. Mm -hmm. So my 5,000 step goal, that just always keeps me connected to the fact that I I have to do something deliberate every day because I, I work in an online business. I run, I work on my laptop. I could sit all day long and just work on my laptop all day long and not move really. So it reminds me, I have to do something this morning, for example. Um, so now I get up, um, I go hop on my recumbent bike and I go for a ride. Um, that already gets me. I'm already say it, say it's morning for me. So I'm 4,500 steps already. And after that, I go have my cold shower, which is another thing that I do. Um, my wife thinks I'm a bit nuts, but <laughs> You know, and then I'll go and brush my teeth and a few. So I've actually stacked quite a few habits together that I kind of have in my morning routine. Mm. But having that CMG, that can't miss goal set meant that once the streak was gone, I wanted to do everything in my power to make sure that I didn't miss that streak. And it's really grown into something significantly more. And I've kept the goal the same. People think, well, should you, should you bump it up as like, no, I've kept it the same because I want to keep the streak going. Now, in my head, I have a couple of other goals. Like I have a monthly step goal. I want to make sure I exceed 200,000 steps every month. So the average has to be at least, I think, 6,500 to make that happen. And I want to actually exceed 50,000 steps every week. So that it bumps it up a little bit higher. So I set a few other goals, but I, I don't make those the, the baseline because there is the possibility. What if I get injured? I could miss that, you know. So I want to meet, I just want to make it as repeatable as possible. And, and it really has meant that I have a rock solid established pattern of daily activity. Hmm. And I'm and talking about technology. I'm wondering if any of the, when you have new clients that come to you and are they, do they, do you ever get clients who really feel that sort of wearables are going to be the thing that's really going to help them? And then they find out that's not the case. Not so much. I have a few people that have Apple watches and, um, 
Yeah, very few of them really think, uh, which I'm, I'm kind of glad to see that the that those are going to be the answer. I mean, I know there's a lot of high performers who maybe they want an, I don't know how to say, Aura ring or however you say that, Aura ring, whatever yeah. it is, you know, or uh, you get the watch that monitors HRV and stuff like that. It, it, you know what, if you're trying to be a professional athlete, fantastic, you know, but for the average person, it doesn't change the actions you need to take to be healthy. Hmm. If it motivates you to be more active, then it's probably a positive. If it becomes a distraction or a way of kind of – it becomes like an obsession, it can become problematic. And so it's just maybe being really aware of your relationship with technology. Hmm. So you've talked a lot about habits and behavior and so on. So would you – is there a habit you can think of that you've developed that has been – that has helped you the most, maybe been the biggest change in your life to – you know, is there anything that comes to mind? Uh, my activity habit. So my CMG that really cemented my activity habit. So setting a, that, that can't miss goal that absolutely cemented my activity habit. And I'm, I'm like a relatively new dad. My son's just over six months old. And I, I set that just after he was born. Um, cause I'm an older dad. Um, you know, I'm going to be 40 and he's going to be one. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, and it turns out this kid's like a mover. His legs never stop going. And so I kind of have a precursor of what's waiting for me. As soon as he figures out how to run, he's going to be running in every direction possible. And I have to be able to keep up with him. And so that's why I made that the baseline for everything else. And so it becomes the anchor habit. I do that. And then I've stacked other habits on top of it. And so really it, that one anchor habit meant that I could stack on top of it my cold shower, which is kind of my, my daily resilience test, I guess, <laughs> can I, if I can handle some discomfort. Because in order to grow and change, of course, I feel uncomfortable. You know, then I stack on things like brush my teeth, drink a liter of water before 10 a.m., that kind of stuff. All of these little self-care habits really are built on the foundation of that one anchor habit. Hmm. Is, is there a book that has, um, that has really moved you in any way? Man, uh, there's, there's two that I want to you know, talk about, uh, one of them being digital minimalism. I'll give that one honorable mention because it re- digital minimalism um, really helped me to shape my relationship with technology, being an online entrepreneur. Hmm. Um, but I would say Atomic Habits. I, I've referenced habit stacking, and that's a, that's a trick from, from Atomic Habits. Hmm. And I think that book is not, not just fundamental for, for me personally, but for how I work with people and uh, even through the nutrition certifications I've done, I can see that they've incorporated this into it as well. And so um, if anybody hasn't read it, I mean, it's a bestseller. I've sold millions of copies, but if you haven't read it, I really think you should because it will, it will dramatically shift how you see like the power of habits. How would, um, if people want to find out more about you, where, where would they go? Um, freedomnutritioncoach.com would be my, my website. Um, I also have my own podcast called wellness unplugged. Um, I like to call that conversations between the before and after. So on social media, we often see the before and the after, but we don't know the actual story of the transformation. I kind of want to have more of those types of conversations. So get to the nitty gritty of what it actually takes to change. If anybody, um, is struggling with their relationship with food, I have a free resource called crush your cravings. So you can go to freedom nutrition.rocks slash crush your cravings. And I'll send you a copy of that book. It'll show you kind of a four step method for, for beating your cravings, how to kind of sleep and actually improve your fat loss through sleep and a few other little tricks and tips. And is there, is there a question that I haven't asked you, which, um, which you've got an answer for something you feel maybe I, I, that the audience would benefit from knowing about you or anything, anything that comes to mind. 
Well, I would say if you're trying to create a transformation, um, I like to say that awareness is the first step to change. So if you can become aware of your present habits and behaviors and exactly where you're at, even if that's uncomfortable, that's where the change starts. The, the thing with habits is they're, they're very much unconscious behaviors. They're automatic behaviors without conscious thought. Well, if you have a bad habit that you want to break free from, you kind of need to make yourself aware that you're doing this and catch yourself in the process. Now, it's going to take a number of times to probably, it's not just going to break because you become aware of it, but that's the first step to really succeeding. And so habits are, are this beautiful double-edged sword, but it's underpinning that is this, this whole awareness is the first step to change. Well, and finally, Jonathan, and well, it's not that dissimilar to what you've just said. I was going to ask you, is there a quote that you particularly like to finish on? And I think it's, your quote is quite related to what you just said. Yeah, it comes from, from James Clear's Atomic Habits, and that is like every action is a vote for the person we want to become. And why I think that's so powerful is because when we realize it looks like, oh, it's just one time. We call, I call them like the little, the little no harms. Well, they start to add up. You repeat a behavior a couple times, these little no harms, and you've got a habit. And, you know, maybe actually there's a second quote that comes to mind, and I think it comes from Warren Buffett. The chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to break. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Well, Jonathan, it's been, uh, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. So good luck in, with your business. And, um, yeah, I hope to, hope to speak to you again sometime. Thank you so much, man. Take care. Cheers. Next week is episode 35 with Pete Williams, who is a functional medicine practitioner in London. With a, he runs a company called Functional Medicine Associates. And the episode is mostly around the microbiome of the mouth. And that may not be something you're familiar with or maybe even never heard of before. And it's that's one of the main reasons I got him on because it's an area of the body that many people just aren't aware is even an issue where it's becoming a lot more popular I guess you could say the, the microbiome of the you know the, the stomach and how important that is you know our gut health but it's just as important the microbiome of the mouth so next week Pete Williams we really dig deep into this and it's a fascinating episode one of, one of the best episodes I think of the show um, you're really going to enjoy next week's episode so that's Pete Williams episode 35 next week hope you enjoyed this week's show if you know anyone who gets some real value from some of the nuggets that Jonathan shared please do share the episode with them and see you next week Thanks for tuning in to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at TonyWinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast.